In sports, are you familiar with the home field advantage? You know, there is this distinct advantage about being the home team. Why? Because you have the cheering crowd behind you, pulling for you, rooting for you, cheering for you, almost willing you to do stuff that you couldn't do on your own. You know, having spent a lot of time in Seattle, you should have seen the Seattle Seahawks fans. I mean, they called themselves the 12s, and they were crazy, and they came all decked out. It's one of the loudest stadiums in the country, and they really did. They pulled the Seahawks almost to victory. They made it to where the other team... They're in the huddle. They can't even hear one another talk. They got to use hand gestures and all this. It was a wild place. And it's this home field advantage. You know, as we talk about parenting and working with kids, we want to have that kind of home field advantage in our homes, don't we? We, we want to build that kind of like strong family units where our families know, hey, we're rooting for you. We're cheering for you. In this place, this is safe here. You got everybody behind you and we can talk about things and we can strategize and we can laugh together and we can cry together if we need to. But there's this safety and there's this strength being here at the home team. Doesn't mean there's not obstacles. Doesn't mean there's not challenges. It just means, hey, we're going to get through these things together no matter how tough they are. Well, as we continue our series titled Stories of Hope, just the parables of Jesus, this morning we're going to look at a story called uh, the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And, you know, last week we looked at two parables and this week we're, we're really primarily just focusing on a story that is a part of a bigger parable. Anyway, we'll get to all that, but this morning I want you to hear this story because in this story, there's lots of principles for how we can parent. You know, it is Father's Day and we do want to build these strong home teams. So let's go ahead, check it out. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. This is Jesus speaking. It says, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a signet ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, we'll get to the main point of the whole parable in just a little bit, but I want to focus in just on this story here. This, because in this story, there's this father, right? In the, and in this story, the father represents God. And one thing we know about God is everything he does is always right. Everything he does is always good. And so in this story, he's, he's parenting with love and he's parenting good. It's a good role model for us. And so I want, I want to just take a moment and just look at some of the parenting principles that the father demonstrates here in this passage. Now, a guy named Phil Tuttle from Walk Through the Bible actually turned me on to these parenting principles, and they are really, I think, invaluable. So let, let's kind of check this out. The, the story begins with a lot of brokenness, right? I mean, there's the son who goes to the father and says, hey, dad, can you divide the inheritance? Uh, I, I want my share now. Now, in that culture, same as today, I mean, if you go to your dad and say, Dad, I want my share in the inheritance now, I mean, you don't receive an inheritance until he's dead, until your dad's dead, and he's saying, I want it now. I mean, basically, he's telling his dad, you're dead to me. I don't want anything else to do with you. I, I just want what's coming to me. Just give me what's coming to me, and you never have to think about me again, and even better, I never have to think about you again. I mean, there's a lot of brokenness here, and amazingly, the father says, okay. He says, okay, here's your share. Go. You know, as parents, we have to allow our, our children to make choices. That's what the father does here. He allows his son to make a choice. You know, it's, it's as if there's this fork in a road and the father's saying, uh, you know, hey, are you sure this is what you want? I mean, you can either stay here with me or you can go down this road when you don't know where this is going to lead. But I can tell you one thing, it's not going to be good. But he allows his son to make a choice, and the son takes the, takes the money, and he goes off to a far country. Now, it's hard for us to allow our children to make choices sometimes, because in the heart of every parent, there is this struggle, because we're tempted to control our children's lives in order to prevent them from making poor choices, right? We have a little more wisdom. We've been down that road before. We know where that road's going to lead. And so there's this temptation to want to prevent them from making poor choices. So we just want to control things. We want to make all the choices for them. But that's not what the father does here. The father allows his son to make a really, really bad decision. You know, it's, it's well-meaning to want to control because we don't want to see them suffer pain. We don't want to see them make these bad decisions and do things that are just going to result in really negative consequences. But, you know, life is about choices, isn't it? I mean, how many choices do we make each and every day? Too many to count, right? And so we have to be able to parent in a way that encourages our children to be able to make good choices, good decisions. Now, that doesn't mean that, hey, okay, we got to make choices, so whatever choice you want to make, that's fine. No, we still put limits on that as parents. I mean, it's not just, hey, whatever you want. But it, there are limits to this. 
but you have to allow them to make choices because without choices, the problem is children are much more likely to grow up to become immature. They're much more likely to come up to be immature. They, they won't know how to function in an adult world because they've never been given the freedom to actually choose for themselves. You know, the choices are always been made for them. Anything of any kind of substance has always been decided for them. And so then they, they grow up to be immature. They're, they're not confident in their own skin. You know, God, he allows us to make choices. We see that right back from the beginning and throughout scripture that God allows his people to make choices. We're not robots, right? He hasn't just hardwired into us every decision we're going to make, everything we're going to do. No, he wants us to be able to make choices. He wants us to choose him. God allowed Adam and Eve in the garden to sin, to disobey, to cut off the relationship. And he allowed them to do that. Why? Because he allows people to make choices because without real choices, there's not a real relationship. There's, there's not this real love in the, in the way true love is meant to be expressed. And choices are important because they demonstrate what we've learned. You know, if we're able to make a good choice, we show that we've learned that. They, they also demonstrate what we haven't learned. And so as we see the choices that our kids are making, then we understand, okay, this is where they need to be parented a little bit. This is where they need some counsel. This is where they need some guidance. But you got to allow those choices. Now, what choices to make and when to allow them to make them, you know, that's, that can be a little bit tricky sometimes, but we allow choices in our kids based on their age and their personality, right? It's not, it's not a cookie cutter thing for every single kid. I mean, it's hard parenting today. There's a lot of different and difficult choices out there to make. I mean, you got smartphones, right? At what age do you allow your children to have a smartphone? Well, there's no cookie cutter answer to that. I don't have a great answer for you, but I mean, you just have to understand, well, this phone, I mean, it's an adult device. You got access to the internet. There's all kinds of things on the internet. Most adults can't even steward that responsibility well once you got access to the World Wide Web here. And you're going to put this device in your child's hands. At what age are they able to steward that device well and make good decisions with it? See, and you have to factor all that in. It's not the same age for everybody. Because our kids have different personalities, they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses, they have different temptations. And you got to look through all that and kind of discern what choices they need at what age based on their personality, strengths, weaknesses, temptations. So if you allow your children to make choices, they are much more likely to grow up to become mature. You know, that's what the father does in this story. He allows his son to make a really hard, a really poor choice. And that leads us, though, to the next scene. And the next scene, it's a sad scene. It's a tragic scene because the son, he has made the choice to go to take his inheritance. And he travels off to this far off country. And while he's there, at first, hey, he's having fun. He's living life the way he wants to live it. But then all his money dries up. And once that happens, he finds himself out with the pigs, serving the pigs, wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. I mean, it seems as if life can't get any worse. Why? Because now the son is experiencing the consequences of his choices. You know, sometimes consequences, they happen immediately. Sometimes they're down the road a little bit. Sometimes they're delayed. In this case, it's delayed, right? I mean, at first, the son's probably thinking, this is great. I'm, I'm living life the way I want to live it. I got all this money with all this money comes all these friends but what happens 
the money runs out. And when the money runs out, well, the friends run off. And so he's got nothing left. He has absolutely nothing. And in Jewish culture, just to understand, I mean, this is a Jewish guy, right? And he's off. And where does he end up? In the pigs, with the pigs, eating what pigs eat. I mean, that's not kosher. Just when you think it can't get any worse, when there's no, when you've kind of reached the bottom, oh man, there's a whole nother level of bottom. See, in this story, the son, he's allowed to experience consequences. As parents, we, we have to allow our children to experience consequences. You know, there, there's this struggle, though, in the heart of a parent because we know that some of those consequences are going to be negative. They're going to be hard. They're going to be rough. And so we want to protect our kids from that pain. And so we want to kind of run into that and shield them from that and, and make things okay so they don't have to experience those negative consequences. So they don't have to suffer through that pain. And that, that's motivated by love, right? It's as a protection. We don't, we don't want this to happen to our children. But the father in this story, he allows his son to experience these negative consequences. Why? Because negative consequences are God's tool to kind of get us to shift course. I mean, you see it throughout the scriptures that God allows consequences for people. That There's consequences for sin. It happens over and over and over again, the consequences for sin. And so as parents, we've got to allow those consequences to take place. If you don't allow your kids to experience consequences, they are much more likely to grow up to be irresponsible. Why? Because they think it doesn't really matter what we do. <laughs> I can do this and it'll be fine. I do that and that'll be fine. It doesn't matter. I can do whatever and it'll be okay. So they're much more likely to grow up to be irresponsible. Why? Because there's this law of like sowing and reaping that God talks about even in the scriptures. We see it throughout the scriptures. And if your child is reaping or, or, or sowing like poison ivy all over the place because they're just making poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. But with every poor decision, we run in and we try to correct it. We, you know, we go talk to teachers because they didn't do their assignments. We get them to extend deadlines. They, they never bring what they're supposed to bring with them. So we always make sure and we pack it up for them and we do, we do everything for them. They never experience any of the consequences of their decisions. What happens? Well, they're planting all this poison ivy, but we come behind. We kind of move out the poison ivy. And in this place, we put these beautiful flowers. Well, then the children grow up to be irresponsible because they've never had to bear that responsibility. They've never seen the effect of the poor choices that they've made. Now, it's important to understand that consequences can be positive as well. I mean, in this story, they're negative, but there's positive consequences also. And... And as parents, we have to allow our children to be able to make choices and then experience the consequences of those choices. Because the negative consequences are kind of God's tool to get us to change direction, to show us, hey, this isn't good. I don't want to go down that path. But a positive consequence almost reinforces that good behavior. Hey, I like this. You know, and the people are trusting me and people are kind to me. I get along well with people when I do this. And so it reinforces all of those positive things. You know, we will parent and we will allow our children to make choices and then to experience the consequences of those choices. Well, they're much more likely to grow up to be mature and responsible, responsible adults who steward the choices and the decisions that they make well. That's what the father's doing in this story. 
And then the scene turns again, right? Because the, the son, he's experienced all of these negative consequences. And now he's seen where he's at and he's saying, I don't want to be here. I mean, even my father's servants have it better off than I do. And so he begins to counsel himself and say to himself and just think back about the way things were back at home. And so he has this speech all lined up. Well, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad, hey, dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you'll just make me like one of your servants. And so as he's traveling back home, he's he's rehearsing this speech going over and over and over and over it again, time after time after time, just ready to deliver it to his dad. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, while the son was still a long ways off, the father saw him. Now, in order for the father to see him when he's still a long ways off, that means the father had to be looking for him. How many days must the father have just kind of scanned the horizon and looked out and prayed that that day would be the day that his son would come home? And then he might see a dust bowl or something out off in the distance. Could that be him? Maybe there's a caravan passing through. Could he be a part of that? And then this day, he sees a figure come in and it looks vaguely familiar. Maybe it's not as straight up and as confident as when he left. Maybe it's a little more hunched over, been beaten down and humbled by life a little bit. But he knows that figure. He knows that's his son. And you know what the Bible says? He says he saw him a long way off and he had compassion for him. And so he runs and embraces him and hugs him and kisses him. Now in that culture, I mean, this is totally abnormal. No father would really treat a son that way. I mean, even in that day, dads didn't just like run to their kids. It was considered undignified. You know, you kind of stayed still. You were the man of the house and they kind of walked to you. They approached you. You didn't run to them. And much much more in, in a situation like this, the normal experience of that day is my understanding that the father would sit and wait for the son to approach. And then when the son got near, the father would stand up and he would turn around, turn his back to the son as if to communicate to the son. You are no longer a son of mine. I'm dead to you. So now you're dead to me. But this is not what the father does. The father runs and he embraces him and he kisses him. Why? Because the father demonstrated compassion to his son. You know, we have to parent our kids with compassion. We've got to parent with compassion. And sometimes that can be hard because our kids are going to make poor decisions. It's like we're going to make poor decisions as parents, but they're going to make poor decisions. It's going to hurt us. It's going to be painful to us. And so sometimes there's this, there's this tendency to withhold our love because we want to protect ourselves from pain. Just like we want to protect them from pain, we also want to protect ourselves from pain. And so we, we withhold that love so that we because we, we don't want to get hurt again. I mean, in this story, the father really doesn't know yet. Is the son just coming? Is he got some other scheme? Is he going to try to take advantage of his dad again? I mean, the father doesn't know all that. He's just run out and embraced the son and hugged the son and kissed the son. And then the son starts on this speech that he's rehearsed. And the father, he doesn't even let his son get all the way through it, right? I mean, he just interrupts his son like mid-sentence, calls to the servants. Hey, servants, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals. My son who was dead, he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Kill the, kill the fatty calf, we're, we're having a feast. 
you know, we might not get it, but in those days, the, the robe, the ring, the sandals, well, that all signified that this was his son, this distinguished a son from a servant. What the, the son was just hoping that he, he could be like a servant. And the father's saying, no, 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 you're my son. And he goes over, he overwhelmingly demonstrates this compassion. He, he it's, He's putting himself out on the line. He, yeah, he might be taken advantage of. He might be wounded again. He might be hurt again. But he's still going to demonstrate compassion. You know, the same thing's true for us. Yeah, we're going to be hurt again. We're going to be wounded again. Our children are going to sin against us again, just like we're going to sin against them again. But if we withhold compassion from our kids, if we parent without compassion, then our children are much more likely to grow up to be indifferent. Because they'll look and they'll say, you know, no matter what I do, I can never please mom. I can never please dad. You know, he's, he's always, I just never quite measure up. It's always, well, you didn't do this. You forgot that. Oh, I knew you'd do this. You always do that. And you just never can meet their, their approval. You, you never can do it just perfectly. And they never will. Just like we'll never parent perfectly. And so then they grow up to be indifferent. Well, what does it matter? I can't please you anyway. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to live for myself or live for my friends or live for some, something, someone else other than you. Why? Because I'm indifferent towards you because I can never please you. Yeah, it doesn't mean we don't discipline. See, there's still the consequences, right? And sometimes these two, uh, especially the compassion, can get misunderstood. But we see compassion throughout the scriptures. I mean, this is God's heart. This is God's posture towards humanity. It's compassion over and over and over again. Even when the people sin against him, he initiates towards them in compassion. But at the same time, he allows consequences. He disciplines. It's, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. But here's the thing, when you discipline your children, you come alongside them and you give them a hug afterwards or you write them a note or you do what it takes and you let them know, hey, I love you. There's still that compassion that's extended, that the relationship is strong. Yeah, I'm disciplining you because I love you. Here's some consequences that you're experiencing so that you'll make different choices next time. But this is all done in love. And this is how the father parents the child here. <laughs> and so because he parents that way, the child is much more likely to grow up to love others. See, when you, when you parent your kids with compassion, they are much more likely to grow up to be adults who actually love God and love others. Well, that's the way the father parents in this story. And then that brings us to the next scene, really the final scene. And the final scene, there's this party happening. Everybody's exciting. There's dancing. There's music. And then the older son sees what's happening and he asks the servant and the servant tells him, yeah, your brother's back and your father's thrown this huge party. He's killed the fatted calf. And what does the brother do? He stands on the outside. He refuses to go in. So the father goes out to meet the son. He goes out to meet the older brother this time and he explains to him, hey, your brother was, was, was dead. He's alive again. We had to do this. I mean, he's home. But the son, he's, he's just not sure about this. He's explaining, but dad, I'm, I'm always here. I've, I've never disobeyed you. I've always done everything you've asked. And you've never done anything like this for me. I mean, you've never killed a, a, a goat for me so that me and my friends could have a party. Nothing like this has ever happened. 
And the father says, hey, you know, if you're worried that now I'm going to take part of your inheritance and give it to your brother or anything like that, hey, everything that I have is yours. You can, your heart can be at ease, but we had to do this. See, here's the next lesson, that we parent with consistency. It's really important that we parent with consistency. This is what the father does here. He goes out again to his son, just as he went to the younger brother before. Now he goes to the older brother. And again, he, he's allowing this brother to make a choice. You know, hey, here's the options. You can either come in, you can celebrate with the family, or you can stay out here and sulk. But here's why we're celebrating. Here's why this is happening. But there's this choice in the road. See, we've got to be consistent. We've got to be consistent. We're not perfectly consistent, but we do our best. And we parent with consistency. Now, this can be hard for us because there's this struggle that we want to give in to our kids' uh, demands sometimes. Why? Because we want to alleviate the pain as quick as possible. We don't go through the hard thing. So what do we do? We cave. And they throw a tantrum, and we say, okay, okay, fine, 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 here. Just, will this calm you down? Will this make things better? And we cave. You see, without consistency, our children are much more likely to grow up to become insecure because they don't know how we're going to react. They, they don't know how, if we're going to fly off the handle, or if it's going to be no big deal. They, they don't know what to do if, okay, you can joke like that, but I can't. When, when our words don't match our actions, they never know what's coming, and they grow up much more likely to be insecure because they're just not sure of things. It, it creates this awkward tension. And so oftentimes they'll retreat and grow up to be insecure. But when we parent with consistency, when our words match our actions, when what we're allowed to do, they're allowed to do. We were not doing things. They say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, then um, when we're consistent, they're much more likely to grow up to be confident adults. You know, in this story, the father, he allows the son to make choices, to experience consequences. He parents with compassion, and there's this consistent approach. But you know, the story continued, if Jesus were to keep on telling it, we, we don't know what happens next. We don't know which fork uh, of the road that the older brother's going to choose. After the father reasons with him, the older brother now has a choice. Is he going to go into the party and celebrate? Or is he going to stay on the outside and sulk? And based on that choice, the father is going to allow him to experience consequences. And no matter what those consequences may be, we know that the father is going to respond to his son with compassion. Why? Because the father is consistent. He's a good dad. You know, when we see this story, we, re we understand these principles, we get some basic guidelines for how to build strong home teams, right? And that's what we want, a strong home team. And why do we want them? Yeah, because we want to be able to raise mature, responsible, confident, loving adults. Yeah, we want that. But you know, there's a bigger reason too. There's a bigger purpose. And that actually gets to the meaning of the whole parable. You know, in this parable, we only looked at one small slice of it. To set the scene for you, uh, the Pharisees are asking Jesus, Jesus, why do you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? And to answer that question, Jesus tells them one parable that's comprised of three stories. The first story is the story of the lost sheep. And he says, hey, there's a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. One of them has wandered off. Will he not go and leave the 99 to find the one that has wandered off? And when he finds it, is he not going to be like so excited and just come back and tell everybody that he's found this sheep? 
And he says, I tell you the truth, all of heaven rejoices when one who is lost is found. Then he tells a second story. He says, there's a woman, she has 10 coins. These are presumably dowry coins. They're going to be used to pay for her wedding. And one of them is lost. She's only got nine. Now she's got to find that one. So will she not turn the house upside down to find that one coin? And when she finds it, how excited is she going to be? She's going to run out. She's going to tell her neighbors. Everybody's going to celebrate. She's like, in the same way, all the angels in heaven throw a party and rejoice when just one who is lost is found. Now we get to this story. And in this story, we, we've, we've looked through it, right? There's one son and he's lost. He's gone out to live life however he wants it. And there's one son still at home doing things the way that dad said to do it. But then when the lost son is found, how the father runs and embraces him and kisses him and throws a party for him. You know, you don't have the I tell you statement. You don't have this. You just have it modeled for you. The heart of the father for one. See, it's interesting when you look at these three, three stories and you see all the differences. 99 sheep are safe. One is lost. Nine coins safe. One is lost. One son safe at home. One is lost. You have all of heaven celebrating. Then you have the angels celebrating. Then you have God the father celebrating over the one. You know the thing that stays the same in all these stories? The one. The one who is lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And we see this demonstration of how all of heaven, all the angels, the heart of God is moved when just one comes into relationship with him. And you know, at one point, we were all the one. You were the one. I was the one. If you have a relationship with Jesus, at one point, we were all the one. And I tell you all the time, you don't find God. No, God finds us. And that's what he does. And when he does, there's a party. And so when we raise kids, yeah, we raise kids to have a strong home team. But understand, in order to find that one, what did God do? He sent Jesus, his son, to leave home base, to go out on the visitor's field and to, to live a whole lot harder when everybody's rebuking him and saying all kinds of nasty things about him and they're all pulling for the other team. You know, we raise our kids to have a really strong home base so that they can go out on the visitor's turf and they can reach the one so there can be a party. We want to raise kids like that, don't we? Yeah, we need God's help to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart for the one, for your heart for the lost and how you love lost people. And God, at one time we were all lost. But God, in this story today, we see what a good father you are and how you parent your children well to love you. God, may we parent our kids in such a way that we model these, allow them to make choices, experience consequences, parent with compassion and consistency so they will love you and love others. We need your help to do this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.